You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. God's word together. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good evening and welcome to Salem Prez. My name is Austin. I'm one of the pastors here and I want to welcome you. I didn't even remember when I was coming in today uh, that the sanctuary would be decorated. And so uh, if you don't this is your first time here or you started coming. I think this is our first time since 2019 meeting in this sanctuary in December. Is that right? So if, if you're new, we, uh, we are graciously hosted by a Moravian church. This is their building. Uh, they do all of this. We don't. And um, so it's always, I just totally forgot. So I hope it's uh, exciting and uh, for you. Uh, there is this painting back here. So that's something that you can look at. Um, but again, welcome. My name's Austin. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, and uh, today is the first Sunday in Advent. And our Advent sermon series is in the Psalms. And you might ask, well, why are we going through the Psalms in Advent? And uh, well, for one thing, I just want to tell you that in general, I'm going to be preaching some little mini series over the next couple years um, where I take four Sundays and give Ben a break. Ben is our uh, usual teaching pastor. And I'm going to preach through psalms. Um, So twice a year, we'll look at four psalms and we'll pull out some uh, common themes in those psalms in those little four-week segments. Uh, If you were around in the spring of 2021, that's the first time we did one of these. Uh, We looked at how the psalms can inform how we express our feelings to God. 
And I hope that uh, through kind of looking at these, these prayers, these uh, words from David and other psalmists, that we can, we can spend these little uh, commercial breaks from whatever teaching series uh, Ben is kind of pivoting towards and talk about how to intimately know God. Uh, but that doesn't answer the question of why are we looking at the psalms in Advent? And uh, the first thing I'll say is it's not to be novel or to avoid the usual Christmas stories. It's more to freshen our look at Christmas by seeing that the whole Bible, including the Psalms, uh, show us how to know God himself intimately. Um, so we're calling, I'm calling this uh, looking for the Messiah in the Psalms. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking for the Messiah in the Psalms. Advent, which is the four weeks that lead up to Christmas, is a season of waiting. Uh, historically, Advent is a time when people discover or rediscover the longing within us for a Messiah, for somebody to rescue us. Christmas, which is obviously December 25th, uh, but also is the two weeks following that, it's where we get the 12 days of Christmas, is a celebration that the Messiah has come. What we long for has been realized. And that's why we're spending Advent in the Psalms, so that we can discover or remind ourselves that Christ has come. And before we explore Psalm 16, I want to ask you a question. Why did the Messiah come? Just think about that for a moment on how, if someone asked you that, how, why, how you would answer that question. Why did the Messiah come? Your answer might be something like, he came to die for my sins. And that's not wrong, but it's not really the answer to why did the Messiah come. It answers how he completed his mission, but not why. In fact, it just raises more questions like, why did he have to die for my sins? He came to die and his death was an act of loving sacrifice from God on our behalf to himself. But the reason why Christ came was ultimately to restore all things to the perfection that the Trinity designed. The Son coming in the flesh, dying and rising are the means to the end, which is to know and be known by us. Communion with God, for people to know and be known by God. The Psalms remind us that we were made to know God. Everything else we believe as Christians should be about knowing God, his acts of faithfulness to fix that broken relationship. So why Psalms in Advent, what makes the Psalms unique, and why I think they can answer the question why the Psalms in Advent, as one scholar puts it, is that when we read the Bible, we're reading words from God to people about the story of creation, the story of the ancestors of our faith, they're words from God. But the Psalms are the words of the people to God. These are the words of individuals actually talking to God, and they're God's word for us so they can be our words to him too. So with Advent, as we discover or rediscover our longing for a Messiah, the Psalms give us a sense of not just how we can know about him, but they call us to know him to talk to him, and most of all, if you can believe it, to hear him, to hear from him. So Psalm 16, I'm going to propose that we pull out three threads through this text. Uh, we're going to go through the whole psalm, 
Uh, one is safety. A second is inheritance or blessing. And a third is, is guardianship. So safety, inheritance, and guardianship. Uh, safety sounds like a therapeutic term. And there's a place to critique an overly therapeutic understanding of following Jesus. What I mean by that is using words that are too much focused on just how God's going to make us feel. There's a place to make that critique. Uh, If you didn't grow up or you've never been to a Presbyterian church, that place is not in the Presbyterian church. We've, We've done plenty of smushing our emotions down and pretending that they are not there, uh, if we're honest. But the other reason that we're not going to worry about that is because safety is right there in this text. Um, the text itself talks about physical and psychological safety in God. And, and the Hebrew word that appears a couple times in this text that the version that Caroline read is translated safety. It, it means safety as the NLT does, but that's unique to that one translation. Uh, But that word means refuge. It means protection. Uh, And that syncs up with the other part we're going to talk about later, guardianship. So let's talk about how the Messiah is safe. Um, If you are a Narnia fan, you might be thinking, uh, you might have heard or read the part where C.S. Lewis describes Aslan the lion as, uh, in the words of Mr. Beaver, of course he's not safe, but he's good. And I, I love that quote from Lewis. Uh, But Lewis was using that allegorical lion to display this awe-inspiring power of God over and against some fluffy, passive view of God. A lion is not safe, as in he's not tamed or submissive, and neither is God. But that it is important to name that God is safe, and I think this psalm has a lot to say about that. David asks God in verse 1, keep me safe. But it doesn't come off like David is worried that he's not going to be safe. It's not like a plea or a desperate cry. I read it like he's saying, would you keep on keeping me safe, God? I see it that way because of how much he emphasizes God's safety in the rest of the psalm. David almost expects to be safe. He says in verse 5, you guard. In verse 8, David says, I'll not be shaken. In verse 9, he says... His body rests in safety. He assumes he should feel safe and guarded. Do you? Do you feel like you are going through your days assuming that you feel safe? I find it so interesting that David does not just say, I rest in safety. He says, my body rests in safety. Or some translations say, my flesh rests in safety. That's very human of him. It's not just a spiritual platitude that his soul would feel safe. We feel things in our bodies, don't we? Trauma-informed therapy has taught us, as one book says, that the body keeps the score. We feel things in our body. How many of us can say that our bodies feel safe all the time? I think if I can't, with all that I have to protect me in my life, certainly many of you cannot either. When I was a kid, uh, the first time I remember feeling truly unsafe at a physical level was in middle school. A helicopter flew over our house with its floodlight searchlight on, and it was really low, probably searching for someone. 
And instead of the rational fear of, man, are they looking for a criminal near my house? I thought, is this helicopter about to attack my house? I was afraid because I was obsessed with Mission Impossible at the time or other pseudo-military SWAT-like movies. And I thought, I, I don't know who my enemy is, but they have found me. <laughs> and they are going to attack our house with this helicopter tonight. And my knees truly buckled, and it was the first time I really understood that you can really have a physiological reaction to fear. I was having a true fight-or-flight response that I had no control over. And of course, I'm making light of that, but many of you have probably experienced something more real and experienced that visceral experience in your body. Um, We feel our fear and our anxiety and our longings in our body. That's true. And for Protestants, which is, uh, includes Presbyterians like us, uh, some traditions, we need to acknowledge that we've ignored that. And we need to recover an understanding that our bodies are something that God gave us, not something that uh, are just some shell that contains our soul. If you find yourself dismissing this safe body talk, as overly therapeutic, I would challenge you to rethink that dismissal. Uh, To quote one theologian, James K. Smith, you are what you think is a motto that reduces human beings to brains on a stick. Ironically, such thinking thingism assumes that the heart of the person is the mind. And I think most of us can agree that our heart is not our mind. For maybe uh, an intellectual crowd, which I think would include uh, some of you. It can be easy to conflate Christianity with just what you know in your head. But when we read Psalm 16 and we know that Jesus came in the flesh in the incarnation, we realize that uh, the Bible has a lot to say about you being a creature consisting of a mind and a body and a spirit. Your faith rests in your body and your emotions as much as your mind, as much as your mind. Faith is not exclusively or even primarily cognitive. You are a person who has ideas, appetites, and feelings. And Psalm 16 really helps underscore this. For those who feel things in their body that affect belief, I hope that that's validating. Uh, That it, it validates that feeling unsafe is not good. God didn't design you to feel unsafe in our world. It validates that longing for for safety or a guardian is good. It validates that you can hope to not be shaken. So if you have sadness or anxiety or fears or anger or appetites in your body, but the gospel has only been communicated to you as an intellectual worldview, it would make sense that the gospel would not feel very sufficient to you. And Psalm 16 is actually saying, no, the body does keep the score. David is praying for safety, for security in his body and his spirit. God taking on flesh in Jesus answers these prayers of David with words of comfort to the mind, but also dignity for bodies by taking on flesh. For some of us, that is relief. And for some of us, it might expose a lopsided faith that's only aware of what's going on in our minds, but not our bodies. So that's the safety thread of the psalm. Now I want to talk about this blessing inheritance part. Uh, God does not just want us to be safe. 
Psalm 16 says he wants to bless us. For probably a decade plus, there's been a certain category of Christian music that I've dismissed. Uh, These would be the more contemporary songs that sing in the first person voice of God, speaking comfort or just celebrating how much God loves us. And one of my critiques that I would say was that I don't go around talking about, oh, how my wife loves me. Doesn't she love me so much? I'm her great joy. I don't go around doing that. And I think she appreciates that. Uh, But I'm also not God's wife. I'm his child. And a healthy, attached, secure child celebrates how loved they are. My youngest, who is very witty and has all the confidence to someday execute a successful pyramid scheme, (laughs) continues to ask in front of his siblings, really on a regular basis at breakfast, in a very loud manner, who is your favorite? (laughs) And what he means is, I know that I am your favorite, and I would like for you to to confirm that for the rest of the people who are eating breakfast with us. (laughs) And that's because he feels safe. Not just safe, uh, loved and attached and provided for. So I was way off in dismissing that kind of music, I've come to realize. Uh, Intellectual Protestants have little room for mystery, and we have a big obsession with memorizing facts. The former, having a problem with mystery, is problematic. And the latter, memorizing facts, that's not problematic in itself at all, but putting them together can make us a really malformed Christian. I think sometimes Presbyterians, which is uh, what our church is, are ironically the most self-obsessed Christians. We talk a lot about our failure and our sin. And we try not to talk about God blessing us or loving us. But his blessing of us is what glorifies him, not our constant self-castigation. Maybe it's not contemporary Christian musicians who are narcissists. Maybe it's Presbyterians. The crux of our faith is not to know about some distant God and focus on our failure to know that distant God. It is about his work to draw us into intimate, blessed relationship with him. We might be blind to how much we obsess with ourselves in an effort at humility. But by doing so, we miss how much God does, in fact, pour out love on us. The psalm, this psalm says, every good thing comes from God, in verse 2. That might sound like a platitude to you, but that means that God's children can, in fact, expect good things. Verse 5 says, you are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. And verse 6 continues saying, You gave me land. It is a pleasant land, a wonderful inheritance. And it ends with verse 11 where David expects to be shown a thriving way of life, granted joy, and ends with saying a life of pleasure. Beverages are my love language. Uh, Most beverages, I'm told, offer little nutritional value by people who are more informed than me, but they are the best. Um, And beverages are an inheritance 
It's having a good drink is an inheritance, uh, whether that's apple juice or good wine or craft beer or some expensive whiskey or a peppermint latte or a juice shop smoothie. Uh, You could probably think of some delicious beverage that brings you joy. We're made to be not just the people that feel safe, but actually feel like something sparks joy in our life that's a gift from God. Some sort of delicious cup of blessing. So God not only wants to make you safe, he does want to bless us. He does want to give you good things. The question is, what are those good things? And to answer that, we have to really let him be the one that tells us that. And that, that's this language of master or guardianship that we see throughout the psalm. Uh, there have been so many times in my life when I have not felt safe and I've not felt like God's presence was apparent in my life, let alone that I was experiencing some sort of cup of blessing. Uh, I don't think I need to rehearse for you all those ugly things that you do or that I do to self-medicate. Those take care of themselves when the conscience is pricked, it's left with sadness and self-hatred after we use these so-called remedies to try to soothe our anxious or sad soul. When I first met the Lord, I felt his presence in this really visceral way. And, and I even really did hear a whisper of his voice in my life for years. And that was a really sweet season that lasted for a few years, but I faced a dark night of the soul in my mid-20s that lasted for a pretty long time, and I would say it even lingered a little bit into this summer. And I got a lot of advice on how to deal with this, so much advice, mostly from pastors, and it was total garbage. Um, A lot of friends told me that I needed a rule of life, that I needed to build disciplines where I pray certain things during the day. Others helped me become more adept at the Enneagram so I could understand myself better. Uh, I dove really hard into biblical studies as an academic discipline. I tried Bible reading plans, whether it was podcasts recommended or books that were suggested, disciplines that were prescribed. Nothing worked. And the reason is because these are jigs. Do you all know what a jig is? I know you know what a jig is. Jigs are tools that are made to make a certain task easier and easier to repeat. Uh, Jigs are great tools to fix an acute problem. They're helpful. But I didn't need a jig. I didn't need some tool. I needed someone to teach me Psalm 16. The last thread of this psalm is, is God's guardianship like an adoptive father. Verse five says, God guards all that is mine. Verse seven says, he guides me. He instructs my heart at night. Verse two says, you are my master. You are my Lord is what that means. If you ever meet with me and I start a sentence with, you know what you should do. And then I follow it with something that you think is a jig. You can just kind of look at me and say, you dummy. You should be preaching Psalm 16 to me. This psalm, 
all of Advent, the Christian faith, are not about a worldview. They're not about a practice or anything other than knowing God himself. Okay, the Christian faith is about nothing else but knowing God himself. That he's safe. That he loves you. And that if you feel unsafe and unloved, it may be because you don't know his guardianship. God is like a father who is safe, who wants to bless you. But for many reasons, we behave like we are fatherless. Some of those reasons are because of other people, no doubt, for a lot of you. Uh, Many of us have experienced spiritual or physical or sexual trauma or abandonment that has our bodies and minds in a state of alert for danger. And we are rebellious. We don't want a guardian. We certainly don't want a master or a lord But he is where safety is. He is the cup of blessing. In the dark, moody anticipation of Advent, you might find yourself feeling your distance from God more strongly. Uh, Maybe the quiet, the early sunsets will haunt you and expose the loneliness that summer and fall might have disguised. I just want to encourage you to please not make the same mistake I did for so many years and try to find him without simply giving up your own will. I spent years in frantic search for his presence and his voice, and the only place I didn't look was in him. And I fear too many of us have been told the story that Dallas Willard calls barcode Christianity. That Jesus died so you could have a barcode affixed to you that scans you for heaven. So once you get the sticker, you simply wait out the clock to get scanned at a later date. And Advent reminds us that there's so much more on offer to us. That the Son of God did in fact come to the presence of humans in the flesh. And his spirit dwells in and around us to this day. The gift is not just the paid debt. It is his presence. It's very possible that many of you have been going to church for a long time, but you've never felt the presence of God. I would guess that means you also feel unsafe or not provided for or maybe on edge. And if so, I I just want to say in Advent, slow down and listen for him. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton describes our soul as a jar of river water that's shaken up throughout our waking hours. We can't see through the murky sediment until we let the jar of water settle. And then it'll be clear. It's really important that you hear in Advent that you don't need a book or a podcast or a personality typing quiz or any other jig to know Jesus. You don't need a new Bible or a journal or a cathedral or an Advent wreath. The only thing you need to do is sit down in the long, dark hours of December and think about this. We betrayed Jesus, but instead of condemning us, 
he gave us a cup of blessing. He gave up his own safety, his own bodily safety, breaking his body so that we would know that he can be trusted. He made it clear that the Father is not scary. He's safe by taking our punishment on himself and adopting us into the family that we rejected. Amen. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed by his friends, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body that was safe in heaven on the throne with my father. And I brought it, I brought myself here. I brought my, my, I brought the Son, the presence of the Son in the body of Jesus Christ. It was all my sin. And I broke it. Remember, we love these rascals.